Welcome to Adult Bible Stories, a vicarious God and his vicarious people. My name is Jeff and I have a story to tell. We're doing a hop, skip, and jump through the Word of God and we're in 1 Thessalonians. We're not going through every scripture or every word. We're just doing hop, skip, and jump so you can get a basic understanding where things are in scripture. So you have a hunger and thirst for righteousness for his word. So let's start out in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silas, and uh, Timothy is how it starts out. We're going to hop, skip, and jump down to verse 2. It says, We always thank God for all of you, mention you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God the Father your work produced by faith. This is interesting. A work needs to be produced by faith. Remember, it says in the book of Hebrews about the Israelites when they were being led out of Egypt into the promised land that they did the works, but, it, but they did not add faith to it. You can do the works of Christianity. You can do the works... Of, of, of religiosity and not have faith and it's just done in vanity so our work needs to be produced by faith we need to stop and ask ourselves why are we doing the things that we're doing are we doing it by faith which brings a joy which brings a hope in Christ Jesus or are we just doing it because it's what was expected of us or what we think we need to do to please God but if we, it says without faith, we cannot please God. But if we have faith that God wants us to do something, then only, not only is God going to be pleased with the works that we do, but we're going to be pleased with the works that we do. If you're not happy or joyful in the works that you do, then there's something wrong. And it says, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love. Are you doing something out of love or are you doing something out of contention? You know, to show somebody up or, or something or, or to show somebody that you're better than them. You know, you, your work produced uh, by faith, your labor predominant by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We hop, skip, and jump to verse 4. It says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that we have chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. So this would... So when we, when we come and preach and when people preach and teach, it needs to be coming not with words only. If it's just words and only, then you might as well go to a university and just hear words only. But it also comes with power. The words have power. God upholds the, um, everything with the, uh, with the words of his power. God's words have power. The scripture has power. So when we speak, when we teach, when we preach, there needs to be evidence of power. Our words need to be more than just fall flat like you can be taken or not, but it needs to have power to change people, to transform people. And with the Holy Spirit, it says, you know, came to you not simply with words, but also of power in the Holy Spirit. It means I didn't come to you to speak what I wanted to speak. I came to you being directed and led by the Holy Spirit. Blessed are the sons of God for they're directed by the Holy Spirit. So I didn't come to you with my own understanding. I didn't come to you teaching what I thought you needed to hear. But, but preachers and teachers and evangelists and all those people should come to you, you know, by the Holy Spirit. And you too, when you start speaking to somebody, when you start witnessing to somebody, when you start talking to somebody, it needs to be with not only words only, but with power and with the Holy Spirit. And it says with deep conviction. You know how many people actually teach something that don't have deep conviction? In fact, sometimes I'll ask somebody, do you believe in this? And they go, well, our church teaches that, you know, our church teaches this. I'm not asking what their church is teaching. I'm asking what they believe, what they're convicted by. But if you're saying, well, so-and-so taught this, I believe this because of my parents, then you do not have deep conviction. But when we speak, we need to come with more than just words. One, we need to come with power. We need to come with the Holy Spirit. And they need to come up with deep conviction. So that's a three-strong chord of power, Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. 
You want people to be transformed by what you say, then you need to come with more than just words. You need to come with power, with the Holy Spirit who's leading and guiding you and directing you, not by your own ambitions and with deep conviction. You got to believe what you're saying, <laughs> not just have confidence. You know, people have been taught that you got to have confidence, you know, in front of speakers, and that is true. People follow confident people, not those who are wavering. But you can have a false confidence. You know, and project a false confidence, but you really need to have conviction. If you just want to, don't want, want to worry about, uh, do I have confidence or not? Then deep, deep, deep conviction, because guarantee when you have deep conviction on something, the confidence will show up. Let's hop, skip, and jump. Uh, we're staying in First Thessalonians chapter one, but we're going down to uh, verse nine. For they themselves report what kind of reputation you gave us. Now, here's the part I want to talk about. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You know, we're living in a society now that says you can keep the same idols, can keep the same gods, you can keep the same lifestyle. All you have to do is just add Jesus to the mix <laughs> and then you can be saved. But we got to but we got to have repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We got to do both. It's the same action, like a quarter. You have a heads, heads and tails. You want to make sure it lands on heads because we're called the heads and not the tails. But there is a tails, and the tails of the gospel. The, you know, we have the good news of the gospel, but there's also bad news. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, you know, paid for our sins. But there is bad news. We've got to repent. You know, you don't go first with repenting. You you turn your life over to Jesus Christ. But there is repentance. There is a fruit of repentance. There is a change of lifestyle. There is a change of thinking. There is a change of of everything. So they tell you to turn to God. Turn to God away from idols to serve the living and true God. You can't serve God. You can't serve two gods. You can't serve God and Mammon. You can't serve God and wealth. You can't serve God and your wife. You can't serve. You know. But if you're serving God, you're going to be able to serve your wife. You're going to be able to serve children. You're going to be able to serve people in the right way. But that's a different type of service than serving somebody as if they were God or serving a job as if it's God or serving your desires as if it's God. We need to serve God. And it goes on to say down to the last, um, last verse in First Thessalonians chapter 1, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. You know, we also live in a society now where you're hearing a lot of teaching and preaching. And this is true, that God is not angry with you. It's, it, you know, it says in the Old Testament, there'll be a time that God will not be wrath with us, as it says in King James. He will not pour out his anger upon us, but he'll be patient with us. And that is true. God is not upset with anybody in this world, even if you continue as a sinner right now. But, it's, but God does have a wrath to come. There is a time where God will pour out his anger again. God poured out his anger upon Jesus so that we may be saved. But there is a wrath coming. And so God is not angry with you. Even Paul talks about that, that some of you continue in sin, that you're laying up wrath for you on that day of judgment. So there is a wrath to come. So God is not angry with you right now what you're doing. But unless you repent, you are storing up wrath. You're storing up that anger. And it's not like an anger where God loses a temper or God says, I can't take it anymore. God's anger is always controlled. God's anger is always, you know, in a place that he's that he's not under control of his anger, but he's control of his anger. And, he, and God is a just God. So he lets his, his anger, his, his anger is directed and, you know, not just exploded and, and going, oh man, I just went too far. You know, people, when we get angry, we can go too far with it because it's not controlled. But God's anger is controlled. 
So it's not I like losing his temper. God doesn't lose his temper or God doesn't get overwhelmed and just pop his lid. God's anger is controlled. But there is a wrath to come in that day that God will pour it out as justly as it should be. First Thessalonians chapter two, hop, skip and jump. I'm going down to right before verse three. Uh, we dare to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. I like phrases, phrases that you can jump off on. We dare to tell you the gospel in spite of strong opposition. You know, <laughs> truth and dare, truth and dare. You know, and people like the truth and people like dare, but you know, both of them are required in scripture. We got to speak the truth in love. But it also, God is daring us to go out and speak to people the truth in love. Because it is a dare. We, it's not easy. If you think it's easy, and a lot of people say, well, it is easy, then you're probably not doing it right because it shouldn't be in the Christian to want to correct people or to, or to show people they're wrong. We want to be encouraging. We want to lift people up. But, but to, before people can receive good news, a lot of times they've got to receive the bad news because good news is just it's subjective. You know, I can tell some people, go up to people and say, is it good news? You know, Jesus saved you. And they're going, oh, I don't believe in that. Well, it's because it's not good news to them. So maybe they need to hear the bad news that what happens if you don't receive Jesus Christ? What happens if there is only one way, truth, and life, and it is through Jesus Christ? He paid for the sins for all. So why would you want to go to some religion when Jesus did it for everyone? You know, regardless if they receive it or not, Jesus died for your sins. But if you don't receive it, then you don't receive it. That doesn't negate what Jesus paid for it, though. And so it's a daring to go out and tell the gospel in spite of strong opposition. You're going to have st strong opposition. You know, opposition in countries probably like North Korea and China are going to be stronger maybe here than the United States. I guess it depends where you're going. But the opposition towards truth, opposition towards Christianity is growing stronger here in the United States. And so, so God is daring you. I am daring you. And, and God is daring me to be able to walk out and tell people the gospel in spite, in spite of strong opposition. Because if you just don't want to go out and be judged, if you just want to be called, I don't want to be called a Jesus freak or a Bible thumper, well, well, you're just not going to ever be able to be a witness for God. You're just not going to be able to be you know, used by God in that way because there's going to be people that are going to accuse you of things. Satan is accuser of brethren. And it doesn't matter if it's true or not. He's just going to accuse you of things you don't want to be accused of. So that's why it is a dare. That's why you need boldness. Even Paul prayed for boldness, and Paul was pretty bold. Even before he knew God. I mean, man. Hop, skip, and jump um, to verse 4. It says, On the contrary, we speak as men, approved approved by God. You know, we're getting ready to hit the election cycle, you know, here in the United States of America. And when somebody, you know, has a has a commercial on TV, says, vote for this person, you know, it usually says, approved by who's ever running, approved by you know, Donald Trump are approved by, you know, Bernie Sanders are approved by whoever. But when we go on and preach and teach and, you know, and be witness for God, we've got to be approved by God. God's got to approve our message. Our message cannot be watered down, but our message also needs to be with love and with grace. You know, Moses came with the law, but Jesus came with grace and truth. We need to have grace. Grace gives people time to digest. Grace gives people time to repent. Grace is patient and so forth. And so, but our message needs to be approved by God. And this message is approved by God. Hop, skip, and jump down to verse 4. And it says, we are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. So if you're trying to please man with your message, with your ability to string words together to hope people receive it, then, then you're just not ever going to be that great of use of God. You're always going to be saying 
watered down or not saying at all. But we're not trying to please men. I'm not trying to please you. I'm not trying to skirt around the issue. You know, I'm not trying to be so direct that it hurts either. I'm just trying to please God, and God likes us to give the message in the way he wants us to give it. And God tests our hearts. God will test my heart to see if I'm walking in love, to see if I'm giving grace, or if I'm trying to be condemning. You know, people are always going to, you know, call you out and say you're condemning. You're, you're bringing shame and guilt upon somebody, no matter how, what your heart is. But we need to know for ourselves. You need to know for yourself when, if you do, when you do bring correction to somebody, are you doing it out of love? Are you doing it out of faith? Or are you doing it out of condemnation? Or are you doing it out of, you know, many other things? But God who tests the hearts of those things. It goes on, on to say to verse 6, We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. And I could just hear Paul saying this. He's saying this with force. He's saying this with, you know, being deliberate. He's saying this with deep conviction as we talked about before. We are not looking for praise from men. I'm not looking for your applause. I'm not looking for you. That's a good little message, uh, you know, little preacher. I'm not looking for you to say, well, that's a good message. Many, many times, there's had people coming to me and say, it's a good message. But, I've, you know, what, what was good about it? What has changed your life? What has directed you in a different way? Because I want transformation. I want to see change in society. I don't want just to hear a good message and applauded, you know, and so forth. So I'm not looking for praise from you. I'm looking praise from God. I'm looking for God to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have you've said things that you said. You know, Jesus says, I do not do things that I don't sign my father do. And I do not say things that I do not hear my father say. And I don't say things the way unless he says it. And I want to be like Jesus. I want to be that way up you know not close but i'm hoping i'm closer today than i was yesterday i don't i want to say things the way the holy spirit says it i want to repeat verbatim what i hear in the spirit saying i don't i want to use i don't want to use harsh words unless harsh words are needed i want to come to you as gentle and as we're going to get as the scriptures talked about as, as being gentle and that's hop, skip, and jump down to, we're staying in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to verse 4, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God. And that's what I'm doing. I'm asking you, I'm urging you to live lives worthy of God. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean, just because you receive Jesus Christ as Savior doesn't mean you're living a life worthy of Christ Jesus, of God. You know, we see, sometimes we see in TV, and you know, somebody's life gets saved, you know, from a from a wreck or from drinking the wrong thing and you see this person just fall over fall over their own feet trying to serve somebody else but you, you saved my life i am debted to you forever what whatever your request is i am going to serve you and we, you know that's always turns out funny but really we need to be falling over, falling over our own feet with jesus if we understand what jesus did if we understand the depth of sin that we're in and, and, and the destruction that we do deserve in the flesh and what Jesus, the penalty he paid for us, the, the pain that he went through. I mean, many times we go through pain and we endure it because we know we deserve it. Even if not for that, we, we know things we've done in the past that have not caught up to it. We, we deserve it. But can you imagine have never sinned and then having condemnation and guilt and shame and mockery and a crown of thorns put on your head when your body's going, we don't deserve any of this. <laughs> I mean, the, the pain of that. And so if we understood the, the cost of what God gave to us, what Jesus paid for, and, and, and just how unworthy we were, then we ought to be throwing ourselves at the feet of Jesus. So what can I do for you? Thank you for saving my life. I mean, I want to get to the point where I just jump up, where where I, where I just don't hear the gospel and say, thank you, Lord, good. But I'm saying, Lord, here I am, serve me. 
I'm going to serve, I'm going to serve you, Lord. I want, I, want to, I want to understand what you did for me more and more so that I can dedicate my life to you fully, 100%, so I may live a life worthy of you. Urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom of glory. Now let's hop, skip, and jump down to uh, verse 13. It's a phrase in verse 13. It says, and up, by the way, I'm reading out of NIV. I read through a lot of Bibles next year. I'll probably use the NSAU. Uh, but it, today I'm going through the NIV. You accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God. What you're hearing now, are you accepting it as just somebody speaking? Or are you accepting it as the word of God? Now, it's just not that easy. You just, you know, so I'm just accepting it as the word of God. It's something that we find out later that you need to test. You need to read the Bible for yourself. You need to know God yourself so you can hear. It's not always that you have knowledge, but you can even know as a born-again Christian, as a new Christian, that something is just not right. But, but how you receive it, you used to be careful on how you hear. Be careful how you receive, because how you receive it is how much you're going to get blessed by it. So if you're just receiving what I'm saying or what other people are saying as just man speaking his own opinion, then, then there's not going to be any transformation in your life. There's not going to be any change in your life. But if you receive it as the word of God, and it is the word of God, then there's power inherent in it, and you're going to be transformed and changed. You know, we can't just change by a bunch of set of rules. Been there, done that, tried that, got the t-shirt, you know, and the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments only show you that you, what you can't do. All we can do is make our choice. Choose life. I set life and death before you. Choose life. And when the word of God comes to you, all we, all we can do is repent and say, Lord, I choose life. And if we truly repent, we receive that life, that power, that grace, that empowerment to overcome things and to walk through things. So, But we have to receive it as the word of God. If it's not, then it's just not going to have any effect on us. Let's hop, skip, and jump. We're staying in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. We're jumping all the way um, to verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. You know, when we get to heaven, we're going to be rewarded for, for what we do. And you know, there's nothing that we can take with us except for the souls of men, except for who we witness to, except for, you know, people. And so Paul was talking about here, when we show up for Jesus, it's not going to be the businesses we build. It's not going to be the houses we build. It's not going to be, you know, the inventions we came up with. It's going to be the, the lives that we have touched uh, for the glory of God. For it is our hope, our joy, our crown in which we will glory in the presence of a glory. Glory in the presence of the Lord. I mean, glory, you know, we're not taking God's glory, but it means we're, we're enjoying God's glory and what he has done in our lives by touching people's lives. And a lot of people, even ministry, they're so built, busy building churches, you know, that they're not building up people. We're supposed to be building up people in Christ Jesus, which is the church. We need to build churches, but we can't get so focused on brick and mortar and forget that the church is flesh or bone, you know, uh, bone of my bone and, you know, flesh of my flesh in Jesus Christ. So indeed, you are the glory and joy. So our glory and joy ought to be building up people more than building businesses. You know, and our joy, even if you're a business person, your joy ought to be building up businesses where you can employ people and help them, you know, live a life of, of, of you know, taking care of themselves and, and so forth and giving out jobs more than, and more than, you know, anything else, more than just, you know, bringing in money for yourself, 
but given joys. That's just, that should be one of the greatest joys of a business owner is be able to provide jobs for people so they can take care of their families. Let's hop, skip, and jump to uh, chapter three, First Thessalonians, and let's see. We're going into verse 3. There's a phrase in there. It says, to strengthen and encourage in your faith. Strengthen and encourage you in your faith. So that no one would be unsettled by these trials. So he's talking about trials. Now, we're all going through trials. And I know there's some of the Gospels taught that you can have faith where you can avoid trials and so forth. And some of those people, I mean, if you're teaching that, then you're wrong. Because Jesus says you will have trials and tribulations. It doesn't matter how much knowledge you have. There's one time when I first got saved, I thought... You know, it's like college. You can opt out of a course if you just take the test. You know, if you just if you can show that you have the knowledge there. Well, God, when God gives you wisdom and understanding and knowledge, it's not to opt out. It's to help you get through the test. It's to help you get through the trial. Now, what happens when you're walking in faith is there's some trials that were trials to me years ago, but they're not trials to me anymore because I've learned to walk in faith. Remember when Paul was bitten by a serpent and he just shook it off in the book of Acts? Man. <laughs> I haven't been through that trial, but I guarantee you know, if I was, you know, bit by a serpent, I don't know how quickly I could just shake it off. It might be a real trial for me, but, you know, because I don't, maybe I don't have the faith there yet. But, but what about you? What about you in that position? But Paul, you know, he'd been through so much. It was nothing to him. So, so sometimes we can see people walking in, you know, and we think they don't have any trials. No, they're just walking in a greater amount of faith where it just doesn't bother them. They're able to shake it off. They're able to get out of a boat and walk on water during a storm. I can't even get out of a boat and walk on water, you know, when it's calm. <laughs> you know, you'll get that. You'll get that when you think about it. But, but as but to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that you not be unsettled by these trials. And so when somebody's going through a trial, we need to encourage them, you know, and strengthen their faith. I know there's a lot of people going around, well, where's your faith? And Jesus certainly said that many times. But we need to be careful when we use that. We need to be making sure we're hearing the Lord when we speak that because it, there's a lot of stuff in the New Testament also says we need to be encouraged those people who are weak in faith. And even that, I mean, there's places that I'm weak in faith. There's places you're weak in faith. If you want somebody to come up to you, you know, come up to you and just be, you know, rude to you and says, well, where is your faith? Now, not having faith is Jesus. That's one of the things that Jesus rebuked most is not having faith. So, so don't, you know, misconstrue me that I'm on the market over here. We should never say that. Because, I mean, Jesus corrected more on, on probably not having faith than anything else. So, at least with the disciples. Hop, hop, skip, and jump to verse 8. And it says, here's a verse. It says, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. You know, we're for a leader, whether you're in business, business, marketplace, you know, your family. You know, we want to make sure people are standing firm in the Lord. A lot of times it's hard to get peace unless we know that somebody's standing firm, you know, in the Lord. And that's what Paul is talking. For now, we really live. We're really living. We really feel the joy of the Lord because we since you are standing firm in the Lord. When somebody's not standing firm in the Lord, it's tend, it's, we can tend to worry. And we ought not to worry. We need to throw our cares before the Lord. We need to pray and uplift that person. But it, we can, you know, but it's, it's, it's really hard to live when you know somebody in your life is not standing firm. You know what I'm talking about. Hop, skip and, uh, skip, and jump to verse 10. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. <laughs> Can you imagine what preachers would say that nowadays? Can you imagine going to church and your pastor says, I'm giving you today what's lacking in your faith? Because none of us want to hear that we're lacking in our faith. Well, are you? 
I know I, there's places I'm lacking in my faith. There's places I don't have the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And there's some things I haven't heard yet. So therefore, I am lacking in faith by those who have gone before me and who've lived a life of faith, who are walking in faith. So yeah, I am lacking in faith. But it's it's not easy for the flesh. You know, talking about tickling ears, you know, it doesn't tickle my ears when I'm finding out that I'm short on faith. When I'm somebody else, I need somebody's help to help me, to strengthen me, to encourage me to walk in a greater amount of faith. But we need not to be discouraged. We need not to be discouraged that we have lack of faith, that somebody has faith where we don't. We need to grow, grow closer to God, but we also need to you know, go to that person and say, you know, show me how you have faith in this area so you can make up, for, you know, supply what I'm lacking in faith in this area. Let's hop, skip, and jump. Uh, we're going to verse 12. Oh, no, verse 13. May, be, may he strengthen your hearts so that, you will not, so that you will be blameless. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless. You know, this is something I pray for people all the time. You know, we started out with first and always where he says he's thanking God every time he prays for people. But this is also I'm praying, you know, for my mom, for your brother, for your sister in Christ. May so-and-so be strengthened in their hearts, Lord. Strengthen so-and-so in their hearts so they may be blameless on the day of judgment. You know, the more we start praying for people that may be blameless, the more that we're going to walk a life worthy of the Lord because we want to be blameless. We don't want to be corrected. We don't want to, you know, like in Revelations, I have, you know, you're doing this right, you're doing this right, but I have this against you. I don't want to ever hear Jesus say, I have this against you. Unfortunately, there are things that the Lord does come up to me every once in a while, and He does chastise those He loves. But I want that to be less and less, you know, on those things. Hearts that you will be blameless. And chapter four. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, in order to please God. So you want to know what you know how to how to please God. Faith without faith, you cannot please God. So He instructs you how to walk by faith. And there are other things on how to please God. Let's hop, skip, and jump to verse 3. It said, It is God's will that you should be sanctified. You want to know what God's will? People always what's God's will for your life. Well, there's God's will that's, that's, that's the same for everybody. And there's God's will that's, that's you know, particular to you. Well, God's will for everybody is that we should be sanctified. Sanctified means to be set apart for use. You know, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. You know, when he created them and he created, the, you know, the days, he created day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day, day six. But day seventh, he also created, but he called that day, day Sabbath. You know, it's the only day of the week that God has actually given a name for. All the other days were day one, the first day or the second day or the third day and so forth. But the seventh day, he set apart, he sanctified this, what we call the, what he calls a Sabbath, what we call a Sabbath. And we as Christians, there as many Christians and they're clean, just like all the days are clean. No, Jesus says, because you have believed in me, your, my words have made you clean. You know, when he's washing their feet. And if not, not all of you are clean, meaning talking about Judas, who's going to betray him. So you're as a Christian, you're born again Christian, you're, you're a new Christian versus some, an older Christian who's been a Christian for a while. We're all clean by the word of Jesus. But if you need to be sanctified, you want to be set apart, you've got to give yourself to the master for that use. Or you're, you're just another Christian and you're not, you're not a number to God no matter what you do. But if you want to be set apart and greatly, God greatly magnify your life and greatly use your life to, to glorify himself and also to show people what he's done, then you've got to set yourself apart. You've got to allow yourself to be sanctified. Hop, skip, and jump to verse 7. It says, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. You know, once again, we're living in a society that doesn't want to talk holiness because holiness for many decades was used 
as, as a form of holiness, but denying the power thereof. It was a form of holiness of, of, of the outer appearance rather than the holiness of the heart. Uh, holiness made by man or traditions of men rather than the holiness given to us by, by God. But holy life is very important about holiness, how we will see the Lord. I'm not just talking about eternal life, but if, you, if you're not walking in holiness, you're just not going to see God working in your life. Blessed the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Why don't you see God working in your life? Maybe your heart is not as pure as you think it is or wish it to be. Same thing with holiness. You know, without the holiness, you will not see God. You will not see God in your life. Holiness is the way to be able to see God. Holiness is like a cloak over you where you can, where you, can you know, see God. I'm thinking about the horse races and how some horses have these cones over their head when they're racing so they can so they can keep their mind focused or get, keep their eyes i guess focused you know maybe i'm wrong here but i'm thinking so they can stay focused rather than see what's all going around us and i'm telling you man holiness is not something you catch it's something you choose and when you're driving on the street if you don't use you know driving down the highway if you don't use cruise control next thing you do you're going to go the same speed as everyone else and i'm telling you 80 percent of drivers speed I've got to use cruise, cruise control or I'm going to judge my, 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 my driving habits based on everybody else. And I'll find out that I'm going to be breaking laws just like everybody else. So for God did not cause to live, to be impure, but to live in a holy life. Let's hop, skip, and jump to verse 11. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Oh, there's so much there. We're doing a hop, skip, and jump. There's so much there. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You know, we're ambitious, but is one of your ambitions to lead a quiet life? Is one of your ambitions not to have an opinion about everything and everybody? There's a whole lot of things that we're baited with in the news. There's a whole lot of things we're baited, you know, in the celebrity news. Why do we even have opinions about somebody we don't know? We're hearing secondhand information, which, by the way, is called gossip. You know, I just made another declaration to the Lord that, that and, and, and asking, Lord, help me keep away from God. Help me to keep away not wanting to hear things that, that have, have nothing to pertain to me, that doesn't give any value to, not only to me but to the person. It doesn't matter if the, gospel, goss, uh, the gossip is true or not. Why do we need to hear it? Is it better in our life? Is it, is, it making, is it helping us think better of that person, praying for that person? But we need to live an ambition to lead a quiet life. And that means eliminating a lot of that gossip that we so inclinedly want to hear with no value to it. And to mind your own business. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. And, and, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. Have you ever seen, you know, maybe on Facebook, you've seen a picture, you had one thing to do and you messed it up. Maybe, you know, you're painting it paint a line on the highway or a road and, and that line instead of going straight it goes around a dead rodent or goes around a you know a, a pothole you had one thing to do well us as christians we have given one thing to do some of us have given more than one thing to do but most christians are given one thing to do and that is to be a witness for jesus christ not many of you should be teachers as we hear in scripture later on not many of us should be pulling up the bible and teaching people word for word that doesn't mean you, you can't you shouldn't teach somebody in your family or have bible studies you can do that but many not many of us are called to be apostles prophets, evangelists pastors and teachers not many of us are called to that but we're all called to witness and all witness has to do when he's called to a witness stand is what testify give a testimony of what jesus has done all you need to do is to lead a quiet life in perspective outsiders is be that light and salt 
you know, in, in that world. And when we, when you are called to be that witness stand, then you can go up and tell them, tell them what God has done for you, what the kingdom of God means to you, what Jesus has done for you. And you don't need to know a lick of scripture on that. I know a lot of people get, get mad at me. Now, if you want to lead people in Christ, well, even then, you don't need to know, you know, word for word. You just need to know Christ. You just need to know Jesus, have a real experience with him and tell people what you have experienced. You know, people don't care about our doctrine. They have their own doctrine. People don't care about ideology, but they have their own ideology. But what they do care about is this Jesus thing working for us. And I ask people sometimes, is this Jesus thing working for you? I want your testimony. I don't want to, I want to know how you came to know Jesus. And there's many people ask, well, how do you come to know Jesus? Well, saved by grace. All you did to me was give me doctrine. You didn't tell me about a personal relationship with Jesus. And that's what people want. They want to make, first of all, they don't care about your words unless they know, unless they, your light, your life is, is worthy walking in Jesus. So when you're at work, you need to live a life, not a life of evangelizing to people because you're not getting paid to evangelize to people. You're getting paid to do a certain job. But I'm telling you, your life will evangelize people if you're walking in the light that God has given you, walking with the salt and living a life worthy of your calling, living a life worthy of what Jesus did for you. People will see it and then people will ask you, you know, why are you so quiet? Why are you so, you know, not, not moved by this possibility of being laid off and so forth? That you will not be dependent on anybody. God doesn't want us dependent. There's way too many Christians dependent on welfare. There's not, not shaming or guilting you. Maybe you don't have to learn the principles of, of the kingdom of God. But God at least wants us solvent. We don't know anything but love. You know, we can, you know, talk and debate about if God wants us rich or not. But God at least wants you right here saying not dependent on anybody, especially the government. And I'm telling you, the government is doing the same thing that Satan does. The government says, I will lift my you know, exalt my throne above God. I will exalt my throne above everything. God and government is doing that. A lot of people are falling for it. You know, line, hook, and sinker, I guess what it is. They're falling for it. Government is not a God. It is not our God for sure. We don't want to be dependent on government. We don't want to be dependent on people. That doesn't mean we don't need people, but it means that if people don't come through, we don't fall through. Because we, because our faith is in Christ Jesus. You know, putting faith in God means I'm not, I'm not putting my faith in people. I have no confidence in you. No confidence in your flesh. I have no confidence in my flesh. Therefore, my faith is in God and God alone. So that when I fall through, when I fall flat, when I fall short, just like you, I don't get, my world doesn't, you know, come unglued. Because I know that God is there to pick me up. I know that there's something I missed that God can show me. So I'm not dependent on people. I'm there's a lot of you are dependent on people, and there's a lot of people who have left the church because they're dependent on the pastor, and then the pastor said something or didn't do something. They thought, and they fell away because their faith was not in God, but their confidence was in flesh and blood rather than God. Hop, skip, and jump uh, uh, to verse 13. It's talking about the coming of the Lord. About those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Now, this is a part of talking about our grieving when somebody passes away. Our grieving is uh, different from the world. From the world. I mean, there's a lot of people who are fighting, especially in our political system, because they have no hope for an afterlife. And so, of course, they're going to they're going to fight. But we're supposed to grieve when we lose someone. A few years ago, I lost, you know, my dad went to be with the Lord. I guess it was about a little over five years ago. And I did feel an emptiness or a loss for about nine months. But I didn't grieve like the world. I, I, you know, I, I lifted myself up. I, I focused on on that, you know, that my dad is alive. He's not dead. His, you know, he outlived his body. 
my dad lived out of his body and, and it, you know if Jesus doesn't come back soon I'm going to outlive my body and so will you but my dad is in heaven and I started thinking how great you know my dad has received his reward of being in heaven and and how and knowing my dad that he's up there he's he's certainly not grieving about leaving us here <laughs> you know he's up there and, and I'm sure you know Jesus says you know I'll come back for you and give you a place. I'm going to build a place like a mansion or a room for you, you know, and so forth. And I'm guaranteed when, you know, Jesus, you know, telling my dad, here, let me take you to the place I provide, you know, I've made for you. I'm, I'm sure my dad says, well, I want to go check out everybody I've ever known. I'm going to see how, what their place looks like. Because that's the way my dad was. My dad didn't care too much about the place he lived. He just loved to go visit people. So I'm sure that my dad had a whole list of people that he wanted to see that he knew that moved on to heaven that he wanted to go visit before he even went to his own place. And just me thinking about that and thinking about the joy of, of my dad helped me get into that grieving so I didn't grieve like the world. I didn't get down in the moly grubs. I didn't get down like I'd never see him again, that my dad's life was it. That's all there is to it. Because it's not there all is to it. My dad's life has just began. And so it says, your person. And when you go, Jeff, what if somebody didn't live a life and there's a good chance that they're in hell? Well, I mean, that's, yeah, that's a difficult one. That really is hard one. I mean, I've grieved over Saddam Hussein when he died. I mean, I don't, you know, maybe give his life to Christ. I don't know, but, but man, well, the scripture, you know, tells us not, not to rejoice in, in somebody's death. And, and even God says, I do not take joy in, you know, somebody's losing their life. Because, I mean, man, if you think, because I've thought about hell just as much as I thought about heaven. And, and that's forever and ever. It's eternity. And so, man, I don't want anybody to go to hell. But, <laughs> But we've got to get to the point. We've got to throw that care upon the Lord. We get just got to say, I can't think about this. If you know if somebody's dead, there's nothing I can do. I can't pray him out of hell. There is no, I guess, purgatory. There is no waiting place. I mean, we get one chance. We get one life to live, die, and then face judgment. So let's not grieve like the world does. Meet the Lord. You know, uh, down uh, in there. So it's about meet the Lord in the air. Let's go to chapter five, at First Thessalonians. I'm sweating because I'm in a hot cabin doing this. And uh, so, but anyway, <laughs> with the lights on. Chapter 5. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, where we know very well the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So, everyone know where Scripture says what Jesus will come like a thief in the night? This is where one place it is. Where people are paying, saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as the labor pains on a pregnant woman as it will not escape. Jesus also talked about, he says, your house will not be broken into if you're standing at the door. And he's talking about people who, you know, um, there's going to be a time, and the time is right now. Right now. There are people now that thought Jesus would come by now, especially in America, because now that we're starting to, you know, Persecution is not quite here. We're starting to really get rejected and dejected and objected and everything else. But persecution, burning down our houses and churches and losing limbs and stuff hasn't quite happened here yet. But a lot of people, because Jesus hasn't come yet, they've kind of gone back into the world and living like the world. And Jesus said, don't do that because when, when he comes, it's going to be like a thief. And that's what it's talking about. If you're not looking for Jesus coming, if you're not looking up and see redemption draws nigh, you're not going to see him coming. And I believe you're not going because I believe that, you know, that there is an escape, not escape of because Jesus can, you know, God can protect us here, but because there's a recommissioning coming. I believe the rapture is about a recommissioning. I believe the rapture is a, a reward, you know, and, and so forth. They're going to be with him as he pours out, his, you know, some of his wrath and judgment upon the people of the world who refuse to obey the Lord Jesus and his commandments. So, but if you're looking for Jesus, it's coming. Yeah, it's, it's going to take a little bit longer than we hoped. But if you're not looking, 
Jesus is going to be here tomorrow. <laughs> I don't mean literally tomorrow, but I'm telling you, it's going to feel like tomorrow because he's going to be here and gone just like a thief. Hop, skip, and jump down to verse 5. It says, you're all sons of the light and the sons of the day. I mean, I'm doing a teaching, working on a teaching right now. I'll talk about light, light and darkness. And I'm telling you, there's so much truth there. So we want to be sons of light and, and, and the sons of the day. We want our, our, our works to be in the light and not in the dark. Because when our works are in the dark, then the works of darkness. But our works in the light, they're works of light. And Jesus, uh, and, uh, actually it says God is the father of lights. The Old Testament calls him Jehovah Ori, or origin, the origin of lights. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. I'm reading from verse 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there, once again, God is not angry with you. God is not angry with me. But there is a day that he has to pour out his wrath. And it's not about losing his temper. It's about being a just and loving God where he has to, has to punish those who refuse to obey the truth, who refuse to come to the truth, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to pray that people may come to the truth, to the knowledge and of the truth that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord and what he's done so we can be transformed and renewed and quit, you know, doing so many sins not against God, but against heaven, against, you know, people and one another. But God is a just God. There is no love, you know, for us if God does not punish the wicked and so forth. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hop, skip, and jump down to verse 13. It says, Hold them in the highest regard and love because of the work. He's talking about preachers, talking about those who have given themselves to the work of the ministry, you know, and, and means seeking the Lord in prayer and also preaching and teaching. You know, if you're a businessman, if you're raising up businesses, you are called to the ministry. You also preach, you're also, you know, living a life. And so forth, you're also. But it's t this one's particularly those who work is the is the written word of God and getting that out. Hold them in the highest regard. Love them because of the work. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Warn those who are idle. We're not supposed to just warn those who are living in all-out sin, but we're sin. But we're supposed to warn those who are not doing anything for the kingdom of God. Encourage the timid. Encourage those. There's a lot of people that have hid their talent. They haven't hid their talent. In, you know, in the dirt because they're afraid, they're timid to use their, they're, they're timid to be, go out there and shine where God told them to shine. They're timid preachers. I've been one of those. There's, there's been timid, you know, worship leaders. There's timid, timid, you know, timidity everywhere. And Paul says, do not let timidity, you know, fear get you. You've given up, not timidity. God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but he's giving you, you know, a spirit of love, you know, and, and power and, 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 uh, okay, I can't think, sound mind. So we need to encourage the timid. So instead of just telling people where is your faith, that may that may be needed, but we need to encourage those are timid and help the help the weak, the patient, and be patient with everyone. Be patient with everyone. Make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Then hop, skip, and jump to 18. Give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't mean give thanks for the circumstance, but give thanks that you're enduring the circumstance. Give thanks that God is with you in the circumstance. Because when you give thanks in a circumstance and people see what you're enduring. You, you know, you, you can you know you can say that God is with me. Yeah, the the lions are salvating salvating in the, in the den, but God is with me. Remember that woman whose whose child died and run to the run, and she's gone to the horseback and headed to the prophet, and her neighbor says, you know, what's wrong? And she says, all is well within my soul. So we can tell people we can walk in faith and 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 not speak words of death for you know the power of life and death is in tongue, but we need to. Uh, let people know that all was well and they can see the circumstance they can see what we're going through for this is God's will 
So another thing about God's will for every single person is that they give thanks in all circumstances. Hop, skip, and jump to verse 19. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Don't put out your spirit's fire of, of your brothers and sisters. Somebody comes up to you and gives you, and tells you what God told them, and you and you tell them and says, "Yeah, I, I've known that for years." You're you're raining on somebody's parade. You know when Jesus told the disciples who he was, and one day he asked you, "Who am I?" And Paul, you know, I'm sorry, Peter stood up and said, "Well, you're the Messiah. You're the Lamb of God." You, you know, and Jesus said, "Well, finally you got it there, Peter. I've been telling you all this time, but no." You know, instead, Jesus says, well, blessed are you, for you have not heard from flesh and blood. Although he did hear from flesh and blood. He says, but you've heard from God. We need to, we need to be thankful. We need to you know, give glory to God and, and, and encourage people to hear from God themselves. And do not treat prophecies with contempt. Now, that's a difficult one. Now, why did Paul write, so do not treat prophecies with contempt? Because the world back then is the same as the world today. There's a whole lot of flaky prophecies out there. There's a whole lot of flaky people giving prophecies. There's a whole lot of, there's a whole pathetic movement out there that's not prophetic. And it's real easy. It's real easy to be contemptuous of prophecies because of how, how so much junk we have to wade through. But it says, treat prophecy, do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. So we need to test it. So, because there's a whole lot of stuff that really is junk. But instead of, of, of having contempt towards prophecy, we need to test it. And if it's not of God, because it goes directly against the word of God, then we need to cast it out without contempt. And if it's something we're not quite sure, then we need to put, out, put it on a shelf without contempt. And if it is from God, certainly we shouldn't have contempt for it. And avoid, um, and avoid every kind of evil. Verse 24 says, The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. You know, as we as we are faith people, and as we look at a, of our faith, and you know, and, and trying to build our faith, we not need not to forget that God is always more faithful than our faith will ever be. That even when Paul, even when you know Jesus rebuked uh, Peter for lack in faith, the Scripture says you know, that Peter got out of the boat and walked on water, and he says, "Jesus saved me," and he began to sink, but but Jesus grabbed his hand, and they're in, immediately in the boat, and the storm stop, stopped, and they and Jesus said, "You know, you know, why have little faith?" But Jesus still saved Peter, even though his faith was little. So we need to know that God's faithfulness is greater than our faith. And that will always be the case, no matter how great of a faith giant you become. God is always more faithful than our faith. So the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So we need to put our, our faith in God's faithfulness and not our faith in our faith. <laughs> Although we need to have faith in God. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. In the name of Jesus, well, God bless you. This is uh, our uh, adultbiblestories.com, our vicarious God and his vicarious people.